0: I really strongly feel if we're not deliberate in our attempts to set team members up for success, we can unintentionally set them up for failure.
1: There will always be somebody stronger, faster, and smarter than you. Surviving depends on your adaptability to change. Those who are the most adaptable are Dialed In. Hey, what's going on? Good day today. It's Kyle Burt here with Dialed In. Welcome to the show. And we're gonna to talk today about being set up for failure you know oftentimes as we're going through our our days and going through our projects that we're working on in our respective companies the way that we communicate and the way that we lead others can either be to our success or to our detriment Uh, and it really boils down to some very key differences that we're going to discuss today with rick velasquez the director of Global Cybersecurity Operations and Incident Response at Sabre Corporation. Hey, Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kyle. Good to be here. Hey, Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's talk about what you are the most dialed into. So uh, being dialed in is all about being the most adaptable to change and being an adaptable leader is what it really takes to be in the world of IT and in the world of cyber, right? So let's let's talk about your context, right? Like how how you got to where you are now as the uh, Director of Global Cyber Threat Management and Incident Response for Sabre. Let's hear your backstory.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I started off back uh, years ago um, in the network administration realm and managing firewalls, managing routers, standing up servers, mail servers, things of like that. Um, got into security, cybersecurity, probably about 15 years ago when I was working for a missile defense agency down in Albuquerque and uh, transitioned from there. They're going into a five-year pause, which uh, corporate means they're going to be laying people off, right? So I uh, went from there, uh, got hired on at Federated Insurance, so a more um, regulated space. Well, not more regulated than DOD, but regulated for commercial or corporate and stuff, um, and uh, really got to instead of looking at one facet of risk, cybersecurity and stuff, looking at uh, more policy-driven and stuff. Uh, I was able to get involved more uh, holistically of risk and security. Had a great mentor there, uh, Jim Stefani. He was my he was a CISO and my boss. Uh, just great mentor, great coach. Uh, a lot of great mentoring over my military career as well. Um, spent 10 years there, and uh, that was up in Minnesota. And as you get older and start enjoying being out on the lakes, the, uh, the winters get a lot longer and the summers get shorter. It's amazing how that works. Um, so moving to Dallas was a, a great move and uh, joined Sabre about two and a half years ago.
1: Awesome. Awesome. You've just been uh, ch- chasing more sunlight, huh? Coming yeah. Yep. Got it. it. So, so uh, tell me a little bit more about your role at Sabre before we get into the meat of this thing. So you are the Global Cyber Threat Management Incident Response. So I understand um, that kind of leads you into a lot of things, right? Like threat detection, threat hunting, intelligence. Um, tell me a little bit more about that.
0: It does, yeah, yeah. So I, I came on the Sabre about two and a half years ago, about a year after a very publicly disclosed uh, breach happened and uh came on and and the threat detection capabilities at the time was was not as effective as it probably should be so a lot of it was more of um, having a few people in-house facilitating things with larger uh outside contracted facilities if you will which made time to remediate time to contain really slow Um, so uh, i put a lot of effort into uh, working with leadership, identifying the needs and interviewed uh, 39 individuals in the fall of 18, which was just crazy busy. And then very much focused on bringing in some senior skilled people. And then I had mid-level and then junior level. And uh, so now I have 14 individuals. We spent a lot of time in 2019 uh, establishing a foundation of Um, drafting we drafted over 81 processes that we follow um, broken down by quarters and months and in certain how many for each individual and then also developed um, over 31 actionable alerts or use cases if you will looking at different tactics and techniques uh, used by bad actors and how to uh, which ones are gonna give us the most value upfront and there's a format that that I, I used for that and and so getting those implemented so then in 2020 we're able to shift uh, This brand new team which in 2019 was really a build in 2020 We're able to shift it to another stage Where we now have a cyber fusion team a couple of them a few focus on uh, threat detection and continuous alert monitoring a couple focus on uh, threat intelligence and a couple focus on uh, threat hunting. And then everyone's involved from an incident response perspective.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. So, I mean, I heard, I heard a lot of numbers. There are a lot of specifics. I appreciate that. 14, 14, uh, team of 14, 81 processes that you guys have kind of developed and put in place. I mean uh, that's, that's incredible. I want to touch more on that in a little bit as well, but jumping into um this topic that we've kind of uh, reverse engineered a little bit here today um and that is uh being set up for failure or the inverse of that right which is uh situational leadership uh tell me a little bit about um about how situational leadership has impacted you and maybe we start with that story that you have a great story um from the time from your time in the, in the military
0: Yeah. uh, Well, one of the things, um, like you mentioned, I I really strongly feel if we're not deliberate in our attempts to set team members up for success, we can unintentionally set them up for failure. It's not not that we're trying to do that or want to do it, but it can can, just happen. So... Situational leadership um, is one of those uh, methodologies uh, I learned from it when I was at Federated Insurance. It's by Franklin Covey. So you can anyone can go out there and just Google Franklin Covey situational leadership. And even if you go to images, you'll see the flow of, of what I'm talking about. And really what it means is, um, Kyle, if, if you're on my team and you're super smart and, and you've been doing you know what you do for a while... But I've asked you to do something slightly different that maybe you have not been exposed to before. Then I'm going I should give you a slightly different leadership input based on that. In other words, and, and there's four key things there. There's being given more direction. And then it transitions. If you have more experience with it, instead of as much direction, I'm going to start giving you coaching And as you do it more, I don't need to give you as much direction, as much coaching. I should give you more support and at some point just be able to delegate things to you. Often what we end up doing is we don't realize that it's a new situation for an employee and we immediately delegate and they can feel overwhelmed. They can feel set up for failure um, because they haven't gotten the direction. They haven't gotten the expectations. They haven't gotten anything. And oftentimes employees just as ourselves if our if our leadership does it to us we don't necessarily want to feel like we're incapable and so we may go and try to find our our own way which makes for a very inefficient process forward and everybody's busy so um it's also a good way i've shared this with my own team members um this methodology and shared with them that they have a responsibility to let me know if it is a new situation because i may not always know So if they can let me know that, you know, they haven't really had this situation before, they should have an expectation from me to get more direction. So it kind of goes both ways.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so what would you say, like, the the frameworks are for this? Like, the step one, step two, step three type of – and, again, people can go research this on their own, but just, like, the high-level step one, step two, step three for us.
0: Yeah, so one I would say you can – as a company, they can explore, you know, looking into this type of training, but just as, as any of us leaders, like I said, you could just Google Franklin Covey situational leadership, find that little chart. And what I've done is I've even just shared that chart with my team members in a meeting, you know, just show them, you know, if you Google it and show them that and shared with them that, that they have and the expectation from me as well, and that they need to communicate with me. And so step one is really, um, if I'm giving an assignment to an employee, a team member, um, just trying to be cognizant of where they're at with that situation. Um, maybe they've never done it. If they've never done it, then I owe them more direction. So it's direction, coaching, support, and delegation. Um, maybe if it's a situation, I know they've done it once or twice. Um, I know that I don't need to give them as much direction because then they're going to start feeling like they're micromanaged, but I can give them more coaching or support on that. And if they've done it a lot, then I just give them delegation. So we shouldn't be afraid and say, well, I don't like to micromanage. Sometimes that can be a cop-out, um, which is really just saying, I don't want to be a true leader or I don't want to actually give direction. We owe it to them to give them direction. Now, if they've done it a lot and we're still giving a lot of direction, then we are probably micromanaging. So uh, just saying I don't want to micromanage is not necessarily the same thing. We should be willing to give a lot of direction, more direction, if they've never been exposed to that situation before.
1: Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so communicating like clear expectations and based on the situation, uh, more or less direction, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. So that's like, that's like, that's, that's kind of the gist of it, right? Maybe, um, maybe it would be helpful to hear like an example of like when this works and when it doesn't work, um, just from your experience.
0: Sure. Sure. So, um, one of the ways, well, as, as I brought on, all these new people onto the team and stood up basically a very fresh team, a very new team, um, I needed to get everybody up to a certain level and have a path forward to make sure that we're all moving in the same direction. So one of the things is I uh, feel it's very important to invest in the, the employee's skills and in them. Uh, and that, that's in a couple of different ways. One is establishing a very collaborative environment. Um, Oftentimes, I think people like to work more collaboratively and not feel like they're on an island by themselves. And I think the more we can establish that and the more that we can show our employees that we're here for them and we care for them, we're looking out for them because if they're successful, we will be successful. Um, And if we can show that, then we reduce turnover and we're not a training ground. Uh, So one, one example of that, is building out these use cases. I didn't want to just assume that everybody knows what a use case or actual alerts are. So brought everybody together and I just kind of went through it with everybody step by step, brought up this template that I already have established showing uh, how it works and kind of just walked through a simple one like password spraying and said, okay, we're looking at password spraying. These are techniques associated, that password spraying is a technique These are different things that are associated with it. What's the credibility and reliability of that type of alert when it gets triggered? What's the response? And just kind of walk through the whole document together as a group. So that's more of that deliberate directing, given more directive. And then what I did is we said, okay, well, I said, well, we want to, we're just going to start off with getting like nine use cases per quarter in place, which is going to be this many a month. And I'm going to break you guys into teams of three. So therefore, they're not on an island by themselves. So that's more of that collaborativeness. And then it also was the ability so they, they didn't feel overwhelmed and they could work together. Because there's also a, a huge value in harnessing all this intellectual horsepower we have within our, our groups and our teams. And so by that, they, they, they just felt more at ease and they could uh, just enjoy the work more. And then when I follow up, when we would follow up each month and see how we're doing, I could just give more coaching and supporting on that, so you can kind of see how that transitions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, to that point, uh, question from uh, Elevate Exchange from Robin here: um, How can leadership distinguish between what coaching is and support is, etc.? Like, how do you distinguish between the two?
0: Yeah, it's a good idea. A good question, Robin. I appreciate that. Um, so uh there are different definitions of that but for me personally where I I would see it is coaching is is uh taking some of what you see is going on and giving them uh more some positive feedback sometimes it's not always positive but but trying to give them feedback on how to improve it how to improve themselves how to maybe communicate that a little bit better or how to maybe uh, just change it up a little bit. Basically, what I'm looking for is how can I help them be better, right? That that's what coaching is all about. It's not about me. It's about them. How can I help them? Whereas supporting, I would take that more in the role of uh, just being, you know, supportive of them, and sometimes being a cheerleader. Um, it, you know, it's amazing that when i first started the team was very surprised um and very excited about just having me uh be willing to talk to them about expectations about the strategy about where we're going uh, because a lot of them hadn't really had as much of that in the past and they just ate it up i mean they just thrived on that so oftentimes supporting can be um just encouraging them and also giving them positive feedback. of, Hey, you're doing great on this. Great job. Um, Positive feedback is something that I would say, and and I keep learning from it myself. I'm not perfect on it, but that is a free tool that we have at our disposal. And all too often, we're more quick to criticize someone or criticize something they've done instead of uh, giving them positive feedback and show appreciation. And it, it's just something verbal you can do. You can do a note, you can do other things, but just verbally, even just expressing their your appreciation for them, especially in front of others, even in a meeting. Um, you'd be surprised at how many uh, leaders don't do that.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, so many people are just so quick to criticize and jump right into what we need to fix, but without acknowledging like what you're doing well, right? And then, you're right. I mean, that positive reinforcement is huge, uh, especially especially in a time now when, you know, we're not most of us aren't sitting at the same table together. We're virtually connected uh, through the internet now. So uh, even now, so it's much more important to emphasize um, the this communication style, right, and setting the right expectations and not setting people up for failure. Yeah. Um, you you alluded to um, uh, in our previous chats. You alluded to. Um, a scenario of like work from home, uh, work-life balance. Uh, and you know, the leader sends you that, uh, email on a Sunday, right. Um, saying, check this out with, and there's no other context. It's just like, here, here here's the thing to, to research. And it's like, you want to do that now, or do I wait till Monday? Like t- t- tell me a little bit more about that.
0: Right. Right. Well, one of the things, so going into that, when we're talking about setting expectations, um, at uh At my last organization, they're really good about it. there was a, a document of for your role here's expectations and you're you're given that um, for instance, one of them is no surprise management um, that's actually a really good one to try to enforce and it's it's not just for my team members to me it's me to my leadership and the intent is that if it's something that I think they could get uh called on by someone else or asked about, I should try to head that off and make sure they're at least aware that it could be coming. So there's no surprises. Now, we're not gonna be perfect on that. But if we're doing our best, that helps. That also helps instead of me going to them and saying, what's going on with this? Why didn't you tell me about this? Now they feel like they failed or something. So kind of it's being more proactive. But the a smaller and a day-to-day type of thing that uh, that I've learned from feedback from my team members while I was at Federated even was I was sending them emails saying, hey, you know, can you get me this or can you get me that? And they actually gave me feedback saying, Rick, you know, oftentimes you, you send us emails, but do you need it today or do you need it next week? Because I have other things that I'm trying to get done. And so they didn't say it in that manner, but... Um, <laughs> But I would have been fine if they would have. Um, But it was just very enlightening. So I've tried to really embrace that and do that myself. When I send an email to an employee saying, hey, I really need this. Um, Can you get it to me by the end of the week? Or can you get it to me within the next two weeks? Or give them a date or something. Because oftentimes there's so many different things that people are working on. Um, And and we talk about work-life balance all the time. But how do we practice that and how many things do we end up executing on or send out that can really send the wrong message? And, and that's kind of the example that you and I were talking about before, Kyle. Um, an email came out over the weekend and it, it just said, hey, can you look into this? And so then that was that made it down to me. And there's no like, OK, do you need this? on the weekend right now because I can get a bridge going and we can get all these other teams involved, but you actually need it on Monday, you know? And so it's very, um, it's, it's very helpful. takes a lot of pressure off the team members also, if they can kind of identify where do they need to prioritize that request because everything's not an emergency, but if you're not telling me a time, then depending on, on how you respond to other request or how you uh, you know initiate that as a leader i may try to get everything done now because everything you know i, I don't want to look bad
1: right yeah i mean we live in the uh, we live in instant gratification times right i mean yeah. amazon prime amazon prime right now at your door in two hours right so i mean it's you know if, the, if a leader if a leader in your organization sends you an email like look into this and it's sunday at 12 o'clock you know uh i think most people would probably just assume oh, I, obviously just do that real quick. Right. But then is that, and then at the same time, like I'm adding to the situation, that if that same leader was then touting work-life balance, work-life balance on another conference call later, it's like, well, you're setting, you're setting people up for failure. Uh, right. Cause those two things are conflicting. You can't say work-life balance and then send emails on Sunday without any context of it, of like saying, saying, you know, get to this on Monday, get to this on Tuesday, get to this by the end of the day. Right. That context matters. Right. The context is key here the expectations need to be clearly outlined and set. Very um, powerful stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Robin had another question here too. She said, um, so uh, do you bring them into the strategy in the beginning or in the support stage? I think she's referring to um, what we were talking about earlier with leadership.
0: Yeah. Um, so the way I handle it is uh, I usually Align with my leadership to make sure that my strategy moving forward is aligned with upper leadership and the strategy of the organization, and kind of make sure to put together. If I, if I'm looking like at next year's goals, for instance, and and Robin, feel free to chime in with uh, another feedback there if I'm not going in the direction you're talking about. But um, so looking at like next year's goals, I will make sure that from a framework perspective that I'm aligned with. The corporate goals, and and I have some conversations with my leadership, but then I will kind of bring it back around to the team after I have that framework established and get their input as well, because I, I think it's very important for them to feel a part of the process, um, and you know, explain you know how ours ties in with with the corporate goals and stuff, and I think that also helps them to tie in more personally with the corporate strategy and corporate goals, but um i'm i don't really care for a lot of it where um a lot of leadership styles where it's it's all just pushed down um as much as if i can help allow them to be involved in the strategy um now i, I will say this i i have made the mistake earlier in my career without uh with a, a some newer individuals and stuff uh this is years ago where it wasn't really clear who the decision maker is in that and has that responsibility and there was some hurt feelings because they gave other input and i still didn't change it to go with that and they felt like um, they actually had the decision voice in that and you know so trying to help them understand okay there's certain individuals have input some have recommendations and some have decisions and depending on where you're at, you're still the decision maker on it. You still have the responsibility if things go bad um, on the direction it's going. So um, that can be kind of a touchy conversation to have, but I I think it is important for the team to understand that there's different roles. And what I'm asking for isn't for them to make the decision on the strategy as much as it's to provide input uh, that can be considered. And uh learning that earlier on was was very helpful also. And you know, we, we can always learn from, from our own failures and be uh mature enough to fire and adjust and, and just admit that uh maybe kind of misstep there and appreciate the feedback and, and just adjust as, as a leader.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that insight. Uh, let, let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about uh being a force multiplier in the business. Um, you shared with, with, uh, me previously, uh, a story about, uh, time in the military about being a force multiplier and just the power in that you wouldn't uh, mind sharing that with, with the rest of us here.
0: Yeah, that's something, um, that I, I learned more and more just from being in the military. And as one example, um, um, on my last deployment, I was deployed in Afghanistan. I was attached to a third group, special forces team as a military intelligence officer. and. Uh, they lost their Intel lead and asked me to come in and embed with them. So I spent most of my year in Afghanistan embedded with the team and we're very remote. Um, So as most places may get convoys coming out to them in the time I was there, we had two convoys come out to us for fuel or ammo and stuff. Everything else was airdropped because people didn't want to deal with all the IEDs. There was just a lot of IEDs in the area. And so you'd have uh, pallets of fuel, four 55-gallon drums on a pallet, airdrop down, ammo, water, food, everything. So with that, on a team, you have about five, about 12 soldiers. And so you can imagine being very remote on your own. Um, you, you, know, you have to multiply your capabilities, right? You can't just do it all your own. And so we had a, a, a scout platoon attached to us. We also had a small Afghan army platoon across the street from us. But then we would go into uh, on a mission down into a village that we're gonna clear the village and and set up a safe house there. So on that particular mission, I reached out to other elements that I've worked with before um, that operated some of the drones in the area or some of the uh, signal capabilities for intercepting traffic. And I asked them to fly out and embed bed with us for a week and go out on that mission, which also meant, you know, they had to fly in by helicopter that they're going to be there for a couple of weeks. They appreciated it because they got to get out of the FOB and go out on a patrol. Um, we appreciated the team appreciated because it multiplied our capabilities. So there's, there's many different stories of that, but on the corporate side, Taking that same thing into play, um, the way I've had a lot of success with that is through one, building out relationships um, with individuals in the business, business leaders, building out relationships in the other technical spaces, server teams, end user computing, um, database teams, things of that nature. And then uh, we did a couple of things when I was at Federated we, that, that was really successful is we we held a couple of lunch and learns after some uh, basically pen testing and, and other things that we had done. And one of them is we set up a live network um, attack scenario where if you look at the kill chain, the assumption was assume that they've already done some reconnaissance, they've already done some delivery of the malware, now what? And basically what we did is we showed them with having a server set up, um, Out in North Carolina, and we just, and we're in Minnesota, we showed them uh, on live screen uh, an end user getting an email with an Excel, a base 64 encoded spreadsheet, and it said like payroll, something, right? Something that piqued their interest. And they open the email and the attachment, it doesn't really show anything of interest. They close it out. And then we showed on another screen, because we had the screen side by side. And we use Metasploit and and stuff. And and we showed on another screen how a command and control session was established now. And then we launched a calculator, right? So it was very basic things. uh, But we showed them how easy this stuff can be done. Um, And then we showed another. And we had probably 60 individuals attend over uh, three different sessions this lunch and learn session from the server team uh, and all these other teams. Then we had another session a couple months later on reverse engineering a piece of malware and we showed what it was attempting to do, where it got blocked, where it got through, And just with those two sessions alone, and then also just relationship building over like I'd say a six month period because it doesn't happen overnight. We started having people from the client services team uh, start reaching out to us and saying, Hey, um You know, we looked at what Microsoft capabilities there are within Windows Ten, and look, we can do this, this, and this to help tighten this down or tighten that down without having an impact on the end user's ability. Uh, we had people from the server team start in- integrating with us, but instead of us initiating, they started initiating um, that's just one example of force multiplying, and it was really just making them aware. Of what can be done, and not talking down to them, but trying to get them to just join us and show them the threats and the risks that are out there, and how can we, as an organization, help to tackle this? Because we, as a security team, I don't care if you have fifteen people, if you have two people, you can't do everything yourself, and so we need to just partner and and be a more cohesive, holistic team, if you will.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, quick shout out to some commenters out there. Uh, Carlos said that military mindset cannot be fabricated. Cheers from Miami. Uh, Robert Duran said, uh, thank you so much for your service. So, um, so this, this force multiplication mindset, right? Like you totally, you completely attribute that to your time in the military. How, I mean, that's, that seems like a really tough thing to like teach somebody or, um, put into practice for someone to do. I mean, what what would you say are some things that, that kind of, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of done it without thinking about it really just kind of became a part of you, but like, how would you explain that to someone to like, to, to take that on themselves to become a force multiplier?
0: Yeah. Um, good question. I think one thing is there, there's a mindset realizing um, I'd say first, and, and there's, there's people in the military, even that, that, I've had run into leaders that think more about their officer evaluation report than they do about the mission and the people. In okay. other words, they on the corporate side, they worry more about what's my performance review going to look like? Yeah. Um, I think if you get out of that mindset and think about how can I set my employees up? How can I set my team members up for success? Realizing that if they succeed, I will succeed. I think you're going to get a better result. So with that in mind that also spins over to the concept of don't worry about how I'm going to look good how can I help protect the organization and realizing that you can't do it all on your own and realizing that you're going to need help from other departments you can do so much yourself and you can make a splash and you can protect so many areas that that you're doing a great job but to really stay ahead of the curve and try to get there, you need to um, bring in other people and and let them make them aware that that you feel like they're an extension of your team and and help them to people want to feel appreciated for what they they bring to the table and, and that they that you do appreciate them. And I think what that does for you is you can focus on what you focus on and they can help to start thinking in a security mindset when they're deploying things. And so you're not going back and chasing the tail all the time. So right, right. another thing that we, I've had a lot of success with and that's I establish a um, anywhere I go, I establish a weekly technical interchange. And basically what it is, it's it's a one hour session it's, it's with my team. And then I expand it out to others if they want to join and it's a floating agenda. In other words, it's out there, like I have it out there on SharePoint week by week, and any team member can throw topics out there. The intent is to throw something out there that they've learned, that they've come across, that would be beneficial for sharing with the team. And then they throw it out there. They say how much time they need and stuff, and then we have this technical interchange, and it's not really my meeting. It's everybody's meeting, and we just kind of share what's going on, and, oh, I learned this, and and uh this is really cool. Maybe I went to a conference and I picked this up. And it's a way to do some knowledge sharing. And it, it kind of helps others have some, gives them an opportunity to hone in on some presentation skills, although it's more of a conversation. Um, but it's still kind of some public speaking, if you will. And it also, you can invite others from other teams in on it so they can hear what's going on. And they appreciate it. It's just one hour. And uh, I don't want to take credit for it. I didn't think this up myself. Um, I was working for a research and development company in Albuquerque years ago, working on a non-invasive glucose monitor. And so they used to have these every week. Um, it'd usually be like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and they'd have a, a cooler full of beer. So I don't do the beer thing, but, um, but we do have a meeting and, and it's usually well received.
1: That's awesome. Uh, te- technical uh, interchange meetings. That's great. Letting the creativity flow and letting the, uh, the, the knowledge be shared amongst the team. That's great. And and I can see how that kind of plays into uh, being a force multiplier, right? Because it's, you know, again, that's about building those relationships, uh, empowering others on your team to know that they have your back, uh, that you have their back. I mean, uh, they have your support, right? So they can go out and do what they need to do. Right. And that's how that's how you do it. Right. Little by little. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd say another piece that you that you do to that. You just brought up a good point is is knowing that they have your support so they can go out and do what they do. And another piece to this is I I know there's there's some leaders that do um, one on ones with their direct reports. Um, And and maybe it's once a week, maybe it's every other week, maybe it's uh, once every three months. Um, And there's a lot of leaders that don't. Um, I was exposed to that a lot when I was at Federated. It was a requirement in anyone in IT as a leader, you had to do one on ones and it was every other week. And and that that battle rhythm was fine. Um, At Sabre, I do it every other week. Um, some people do it once a week, that's fine. But there's a lot of value in that one on one session with your direct reports. One, I think it helps for uh, you to just have some sliced off time to be able to reconnect and make sure that you're getting to know your team members. Um, what I like to say is that one on one, it's not for me, it's for you. It's your one on one for you to give me any updates on where things are at. And I, I give them an, a, a goal of not a goal, but an objective. This is the objective of the one-on-one, the fact that it's theirs, and it's for them to bring things to me that maybe maybe it's some decisions that they need to just align on as they have some of these other meetings coming up with maybe vendors or other teams. And in that aspect, the one-on-one gives them, I like to think of it as kind of um, agile decision-making, if you will. Yeah. So we have agile for development, but what it allows you to do for your employees or me with my leadership is uh there's certain decisions that i have to make coming up with certain vendors or certain other other teams and if i'm aligning with my leadership with my boss um dear and i can just align with them on a one-on-one so when i have those meetings i don't have to uh you know, worry about, am I aligned? Am I making the right decisions? This is where I want to go. This is direction. Had a conversation with him. He supports it. So now when that comes up, I can just make the decisions and move forward versus having to backtrack on something later and trying to reverse something. It allows me more uh, fluidity to make all these small adjustments and keep things moving at a fast pace versus um, having to wait and stall and, well, I got to get permission on this or permission on that so um yeah i, I think one on one sessions really helps to give more um empower your employees if you will so they they can
1: move Yeah like to, like we said like one on one sessions is for you it's not for me so it's not you're not using it as a metric to to measure them per se you're using it as a metric for them to be more empowered right Yeah that's a great that's a great way to spin it um, so with specific to your role <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, what would you say that is the biggest challenge you have right now?
0: Um I would say like most uh large organizations, uh an accurate CMDB uh showing what assets are out there, where they're at and who the owners are, that would probably be uh one of the the top challenges. Um, and I say that because when we look at some key vulnerabilities that come out and, and one of the first things we want to do if they're critical vulnerabilities from from my team's perspective is, is we want to look at are we currently protected against that? Is this a vulnerability that we need to be overly concerned with? Do we have indicators of compromise in our alerting tools to monitor and block for that? Well, one is if you look um even at the, you know, the cybersecurity functional areas, the first one is identify. Well, if you can't identify what you have, where you have it, what vulnerabilities are out there, what's patched, what patch level you're at, if you can't identify that, then it makes it more of a challenge. So you can't really get this, you can't really respond as the way you want or as efficiently. So it just really bogs everything down and it it makes for a much slower response and, Takes a lot more resources uh, to get things done.
1: Oh wow, yeah, you know, it definitely does. It's something that uh, that you need to overcome uh, quickly, probably, probably, right? Yeah.
0: Well, it's, uh, yeah. I don't know how quick it, it is, but um, and, and there are tools out there that can help with that. But I, I think you know, there's eyes of organization. There can be right a really small organization. Um, unfortunately, you can move really fast but you can end up being the jack of all trades, master of none. And and you're overwhelmed because there's two people trying to do everything and and you just can't. Right. You can get to a large organization where you have, uh, you know, a certain size, a right size team and and you can still have more uh, mobility, kind of like you went from a sports car to a car that's a little bit bigger. um, So you can still move quick, but then you get some large organizations and now it's like a big ship. So, uh, you may have more resources and you may have more, uh, people and everything else, but you potentially also have a lot of tools that are not a hundred percent deployed, a lot of tools that are partially configured, um, and you trying to get things done, you're not just going to turn that ship fast. It, it's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. It goes slower than you'd like sometimes.
1: Ships take a long time to turn around, right? Yeah.
0: Without doing damage,
1: right? Yeah. Without doing damage. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would you say is the, is the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months, uh, d- d- besides the obvious uh, and why, just uh, in terms of your team and response?
0: Um, I would say the probably the amount of effort put in during the work from home. Um, it's, it's also opened the eyes even to our CEO, um, who was not really open to a lot of work from home uh before and now uh he's actually entertaining it and our our people team is looking at different options and strategies for long term even when we're back in the office. what type of uh maybe hybrid work from home uh options there might be
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and part of that is is because I think people are realizing that maybe not everybody but the the bulk of of uh of your employee base can be very productive working from a home. And I would say even, I mean, looking at our team, I would say, um, and others may have seen this as well, that sometimes it's even to the point where I have, I've had conversations with them and I have to try to get them to throttle back a little bit because they're, they're on back to back meetings or it's seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. And it's like, okay, you, you still have to figure out how to separate work from family because you know, having a work-life balance isn't something that we just talk about. We have to be deliberate in trying to support our employees with that, encourage them, um, and encourage them to take time off. That's another struggle with the work from home thing is, yeah, I think i like think, taking time off as much.
1: Yeah. I think the line is like completely obliterated. Uh, I'm not sure if we're actually working from home or if we're actually living at work. Right. <laughs> I right. really tell the difference, right? Yeah. So I yeah. think yeah, definitely a lot, a lot needs to be done there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about that, because you're talking about uh, decoupling people from property uh, and decoupling organizations from, from from the need of having this like huge headquarter facility with like, you know, thousands of offices and thousands of seats and chairs down to like, you know, maybe we don't need that much anymore. Maybe we just need like the smaller, smaller space. Right. So a lot, a lot of change going on there. Yeah, it'll be interesting
0: to see how things transition as as uh, companies go back to work. So I think a lot of companies are looking at how much there's paying for lease space. Um, how much would it cost just to break the lease? Uh, you know, maybe they need half as much space or, or whatever it may look like. Maybe some positions can work from home, period. Maybe some just need to come in the office two days a week or three days a week. And what is that going to look for the congestion on the roads too? that's what I'm looking forward to.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Imagine like, uh, you know, these employees go to work on, on even days, these ones go to work on odd days. I mean, even, even something like that would be yeah. good, like traffic would be cut in half. Right. right?
0: right. It, yeah. it
1: something like that. That way you, that way you get away from the house for like a little bit, but the majority of your work is done from home. Yeah. Um, interesting. So let's, uh, let's, let's pivot to the end. I uh, appreciate this conversation so far. Uh, it's been very impactful. Uh going to do uh, last five questions for you. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, Here we go. Uh, What is the most important thing you've ever learned in life?
0: Oh, wow. That's a pretty broad question there. It is. is. The most important thing I've ever learned in life, balancing my personal time in my marriage. Mm. Uh, And let me just, let me unpack that just a little bit.
1: Yeah, go for Uh, it.
0: When my wife and I first got married, I used to, uh, being like a softball league and a basketball league and this and this and this. And and feedback is good for us. And I was very appreciative that my wife said, you overschedule your personal time. Um, and I didn't realize I was doing that. And so realize, being aware of that and trying to be um, sensitive to that, I think, has just helped me uh, be a better husband in my marriage. And it was also even more so, you know, later I got into triathlons. I've done five Ironman triathlons and and especially coming back from uh, deployments and stuff. It's like, you know, I, I just have a different perspective now on I've cut back a lot of it. I, I primarily just do running and I do some mountain biking. Um, aside from that, I, I do more of it, more things with my family like tennis and things like that, because Um, I don't, I'm just trying to balance that family time and trying to always be aware of that. So I'd say that's probably one of the more important things. I don't always do it well. Um, but I'm striving to always be better at it.
1: Oh, incredible. No, that's, uh, it's incredibly powerful to, to hear you talk about that. And it's it's so important to make time for that. Uh, I think it's easy for, for us, uh, especially as men to get carried away with that kind of stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, what would you say makes you feel inspired or like your best self
0: two two things if if we're talking about corporate world, two things I would say one um, one of the things that really inspires me is is seeing uh, my employees flourish, seeing them grow, seeing them get excited about their work again and uh, and and just that's just inspiring it to me. It's like, okay, I'm making a difference um, uh, because just seeing the joy with them with working together. Um, and it's not always Kumbaya, right? There's, there's challenges. There's the downside of leadership where you have to have these hard conversations sometimes, but, um, but yeah, seeing them succeed and seeing them get excited and uh, about the Pat being passionate about where we're going and, and, and some of that a lot of that's from me giving them feedback too and then i would say the flip side which which uh inspires me is me getting some feedback from my leadership just uh you know just just appreciation i don't need i don't need an award i got plenty of those i don't need a trip or anything uh just a thank you just a uh you you're doing a great job. Appreciate everything that you're doing for the company, for the the organization. You know, just appreciation. Um, simple appreciation.
1: I oh, love it, love it. Uh what's uh what's the single best book you've ever read or would recommend others?
0: Well, so I've I've uh, spent well over 24 years in the mil- <coughs> in the military. First off active duty, um, and then as a tanker, you used to drive tanks and stuff, and then military intelligence later um, on reserves and everything. So, uh, they're more military related. Uh, one was, uh, so I'd say prodigal soldier was, was a really good book in the military. They have this thing, especially for the officer ranks, they have this thing. It's called a recommended reading list and it's published out there. So, uh, if you're an officer, this is a recommended reading list that, that they, uh, put out there that, you know, for you to kind of pick and choose That'll help grow your career, if you will, or just grow you as a, a leader. Um, and I think that's something that in the corporate world we could probably do as well. But yeah, you was really good. Talks about how the the shift from Vietnam into an all-volunteer service and all the challenges they had.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I like your idea. We should have recommended reading lists in corporations for sure. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's fantastic. Uh, if you could have dinner with anyone that has ever lived, who would it be? uh, and why, uh, living or no longer living, who would it be?
0: Um, I'd say Jesus Christ. How could you not? Um, that would be phenomenal. Um, yeah.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and now that, now that you're dialed in Rick, uh, what does being dialed in mean to you just in your own words?
0: Yeah, it kind of means, uh, I think this, area here means uh how you can dial in with your peers and just like being willing to learn from your leader or learn from your team members how can you learn from your peers because uh none of us know everything uh right i mean we have to uh, be willing to humble ourselves enough to reach out to others and um that's an area that i'm striving to improve on always i i'm not by nature an extrovert um, that would be more of my wife, thankfully. Um, so, so it's a little more challenge for me to get out of the box a little bit, out of my comfort zone. But that that would be what dialed in means to me is just having, and I really appreciate this, uh, this opportunity and this venue to be able to get dialed in and, and to be able to jump in on other dialed in sessions.
1: Thanks for listening to Dialed In. This show is brought to you by Acuerdo.io the world's first orchestration agency for the future of work. Go check us out at acuerdo.io. This show could also not be put together without great partners, Robin Austin and Casey Yarbrough of Elevate Exchange, membership for IT leaders. And remember to win in life, to win in business, to win in your career. It's not about being the strongest, the fastest or the smartest. It's simply about being the most adaptable to change, the most dialed in.